Welcome. Everyone must adhere to the rules and regulations of this podcast. And if you yell and scream, help will not come. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we talk about Danganronpa, a series of games about how high school is a death match. The only way out is to unmask the mastermind. It's simple, really. Don't despair. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hi there. Hello. Hello. Hey. It's us again. It is. Here, Here we, we are. are. Nice to see you both. Welcome back for another episode of our podcast. I hope you had a good yeah. Thanksgiving, a restful long weekend. A lot of pie. A lot of pie. A lot, a lot of turkey. Of did. Pie, a lot of leftover turkey. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Nothing better than that. Jason, how did your how did your midnight turkey preparation right, go? Yeah, midnight turkey. It was great. People said it was the best turkey they've ever had because I because uh, I spatchcocked it, which my family has not done before. Which is, if you guys aren't familiar, it's when you cut the backbone out of the turkey and mm. then like lay it flat on a roasting pan, and so. A, it cooks more evenly because the dark meat and the white meat are cooking at a, at a little bit different temperatures because that's what they need um, or a different amount, a different like exposure because that's what they need. And um, and B, it only takes like 80 minutes in the oven, which is incredible. And it was amazing. It was really good. I just think wow. spatchcock is an amazing word. And it's even it better is. when you know that it's a verb. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's it's really, true. really yeah. good. I, I didn't know what it meant. I loved the explanation. Mm-hmm. I've learned so much. I'm excited to immediately forget what it means right mm-hmm. after this episode so that I can learn it anew the next time someone told me they spatchcocked something. Uh, so anyway, I'm doing the vitals. Uh, you are. I, I forgot that until right now. <laughs> it's fine. It was, a, it, was a, it was a real uh, distraction that Jason brought in there. Uh, anyway... <laughs> I have no transition from spatchcocking a turkey into telling our listeners how much mm. we appreciate them when they support our show. But <laughs> maybe we, too, are like a nutritious meal that is perfectly cooked, perfectly perfectly baked and, and supported in both the dark and light meat by, by our listeners who can't afford to support us. And those We're a, who little, can. a little bit half-baked sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. How about we too? We too have no backbone. <laughs> you know what? That's not true at all. Uh, we have quite a lot of backbone. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. That's true. Wait a minute. Okay, I, I got it. I got it. We too have a backbone, but we would have no backbone if we accepted advertisements for this podcast, which we do mm-hmm. not do. Okay. It's right. not quite there, but you're onto it. I think this is the it's, right. Path. It's it's something along those lines. It's. Yeah. It's definitely true that you can get some additional triple click stuffing if you were to become a Maximum Fun mm. member. You could you could just get that little something extra, the like really awesome salty stuffing from the inside of the turkey that's mm. like super buttery and good. If you go to maximumfun.org/join, you can get that proverbial stuffing and become a member. And unless get you spatchcocked monthly... your turkey, because <laughs> yeah, if you spatchcocked it. You're shit out of luck. I, I doesn't work with the metaphor. That's not how Dina and I prepared the turkey this year, so I can't speak to that mm. at all. We stuffed that turkey. There was stuffing inside. It was great. But anyway, oh, maximumofun.org slash join is a place where you could become a member. And for the low, low price of $5 a month, you could get a bonus triple click every single month in your feed special donors only feed and this month we are talking about battles royale we watched the movie battle royale today we're talking about danganronpa on the main show spoiled it for you jason but (laughs) on the bonus it's going to be like a sequel where we talk about the movie battle royale and the hunger games and squid game and all kinds of other battle they're all going to compete and we're going to see yeah we're going to see whether fortnite could take squid game in a fight 
and <laughs> who who will emerge as the only living battle royale. But that's for the bonus feed. Uh, you're you're here for the main episode, and let's let's get to it, shall we, Jason? We shall. Tell us about the the game series we are discussing today. So as Maddie so kindly revealed, today we are talking about Danganronpa. What is the deal with Danganronpa? Um, and everybody out there is just going to have to deal with uh, our American like butchering of the the word Danganronpa, which I'm sure is pronounced much differently in Japanese. But um, Danganronpa is a super popular series of video games that we are going to talk about today. And the reason we're going to talk about it today is because this week on the Nintendo Switch, there is a package being released of uh, the fir- the three main Danganronpa games, um, as well as like this weird bonus board game that like isn't worth anybody's time. But the three main games are what we'll focus on. <laughs> That's the it's weird. Thing. It's like this weird ass like fan service thing. It's it's not fun. Wait, and weird it's, like, ass fan service in Danganronpa? <laughs> yeah, it's like a virtual board game with all the characters, that. and it's like all of the characters from all the games, except they're not caught up in a killing game so they're just all friends and what? it's really weird and it's got a bunch of microtransactions that's all wrong I, don't, the it's, microtransactions yeah. that sounds fine the, the characters all being <laughs> friends that's horrifying to me it's against yeah, the spirit of the weird. game ruins it totally selling out <laughs> by letting all of the characters be friends instead of trying to murder each other I want to get to that to that point in a little bit but first let me let me explain for people who have not heard of Danganronpa because it's a really cool series and I love it and I'm sure people out there have heard of it in some way or another, it's gotten really popular over the years. Um, essentially, it is a series of visual novel games. Um, at least the three main ones are. And that means that it's mostly reading. You are uh, doing a lot of just reading text and letting a story unfold in front of you. There's also kind of an action-adventure element. There's some puzzles, um, some like clicking on things as if you're in a point-and-click adventure. Um, but it's mostly reading. And these games are all set in some sort of like school-like environment. And there are 16 students who are brought together in this school for one reason or another. Um, And they are, or it's not always 16, I suppose. So X number of students, around 15, 16 students who are brought together in this environment and told by this little adorable bear named Manokuma um, that they have to kill each other and they will be trapped in this this kind of hellish environment. Well, I guess it's not that hellish. They're trapped in this environment forever unless uh, they kill each other. And the way that it works is once someone kills someone else, um, the murderer has to get through this what's called a class trial where everybody else... Um, tries to figure out who did it. And if everybody votes on, everybody gets a vote at the end of the class trial, and if they vote on the wrong person, then they all die and the murderer gets to escape. But if they vote on the murderer, then the murderer gets executed as his punishment or her punishment for murdering um, because he can't murder and get away with it. So... Uh, that's the basic premise, and each of these games has kind of like a series of um, micro mysteries, and then a big macro mystery, or a bunch of big macro mysteries. So, like each individual chapter has a micro mystery of like, hey, someone got killed. Who did it? How did it happen? And then there are these overarching mysteries about like, um, for example, in the first game, what is this school? How did it wind up this way? Um, who is because Monokuma? the first game, how did this Monokuma? bear in a mascot yeah, costume become such a realistically moving bear? That that mystery is actually. <laughs> 
actually never explain. And uh, and yeah, they're they're pretty good games, I would say. Um, I've been replaying them recently. Um, curious to hear your guys' kind of experience with the series and thoughts on the series before we start diving into each one. Um, Kirk, what what's your? Uh, I remember you and I used to we we would we geeked out about the first couple together when they first came out. Yeah, especially the first one. This series is kind of a series of diminishing returns for me, where which is actually sort of true of a lot of things in this genre, which I suppose we'll talk more about when we talk about the other the other battle royale, battles royale that we're gonna be talking about in the Beanscast, just because I've been noticing how I have a sort of similar trajectory with particularly the Hunger Games, where mm-hmm. The first one is the one that I loved, the one that like really grabbed me, the one where the premise was so mysterious, where I got really into the vibe. And then the more the series zooms out and explains things, and then the more necessarily convoluted it gets in subsequent installments, just because a sequel needs to introduce new ideas, the more it loses me. So you mentioned the premise. This is Hope's Peak Academy, and there's a lot of fun things going on with Hope's Peak. Like I like... The whole idea that each student is an ultimate, so each student is right. I didn't mention that. So explain that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So each student is like the ultimate musician, the ultimate chef, the ultimate businessman, the ultimate yakuza leader. They get really weird. But they're all like fifteen years old still, while being the ultimate businessman. The ultimate swimmer. So it's like, oh, this business prodigy who's going to be the heir to his father's, you know, CEO empire, whatever. It's just the idea is that they're all child prodigies because they're they're children. But that's also what's gruesome about it at the same time. Well, but it is. I mean, like when you're 17, you might be the ultimate in real life. You might be the best basketball, like high school basketball sure, player in the country. It's like the equivalent of that. Yeah. But it is funny that like one of the characters is the ultimate detective and is like 16 or whatever age. They're yes. Supposed to be. Like it's it, I enjoy that. I think that's fun that each of those occupations is juxtaposed as completely believable that each of these children would be so good at these things. Well, what's funny is that some of them are like, one of them is like the ultimate like fan fiction writer. There's some yeah. that, are, that are hilarious. Yes, um, yes. But yeah. Why not? Why not? So, and I, I think it's an effective way of sort of lampshading the type of character development that similar games like Persona do. I mean, there's a child detective in the Persona series as well. Like, typically students are associated with one skill or one thing that they're into and they be, and they're kind of this they start as a kind of a caricature and then you get to know them and that's definitely true in Danganronpa it's an effective way of letting you know who's who there's also great voice acting in these games so you really like and really good character design so you, you get a really strong sense of the cast really fast and they don't have to flesh everybody out that much and I like that and that kind of goes into the less is more thing with this series where when they start explaining things or when they spend too long on stuff, I start to like it less and I get a, it starts to kind of lose me. So in that first game, they're in the high school, Hope's Peak Academy. You know, there's a great premise. It's like all these ultimates. And then it's like, what's going on? Why are we here? Um, and then these these mysteries play out. The sequel, they're on an island. So it's like a tropical paradise. And there's this new bear. What is her name? And now I'm forgetting her name, the little pink bear who's... Uh, it's like Minoki or it's Monokuma's like little sister. So they introduce a new character. Monomi. Monomi, that's it. It's Scrappy-Doo, basically. They introduce Scrappy-Doo. And so that's like a new dynamic, which is a little like 
different. I don't know. It's nice having just the one antagonist. And then in the third game, they're kind of back at the school, but it's a lot bigger. And then they introduce the mono cubs, which I've actually been playing the third one most recently. And that's like really diffuse. And each cub is like a really specific, weird personality. And there's just a lot going on. And it's even more complicated. Well, it's not Hope's Peak, by the way. That's a new school. Right. It's a different school, right? But a different but a similar kind of location to the first mm-hmm. game. It's not a tropical island, is, is, is right. what I mean. It is not, no. So, you know, just, they just get more Baroque and complicated as they go because they're kind of having to top themselves, and that just kind of makes me lose steam because these are not short games. They're very long. You have to really be invested. So I think the first one, sorry, this is a long answer, but the first one is like <laughs> the one that I really like and the reason that I love this series, and I've been sort of let down by each subsequent one. But you, mm-hmm. so you finished the second one, but you have not finished V3. Correct. And I went back to V3 on Switch and have been playing it and liking it, but okay. I had to start over and it was just a little exhausting because I think I played a lot of three the first time uh-huh. on the Vita and then just sort of don't really remember everything. So I need to start over, but it's a lot of game that I need to get through. Okay. Curious to see if you finish that. Maddie, what about you? What's your kind of overall impression and experience of the series? So I have only played the first one and part of the second one, and I did it pretty recently for the first time because I talked about it on split screen with the two of you the very first time that I played it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's surprising that the conversation around which is the best has changed so much because I remember when V3 came out, a lot of fans I knew were like, this is the best one of all. And they get better as they go along. And the twists on twists are what's so exciting about it. Mm. But it feels as though now when people talk about the games, they they no longer describe it that way. They describe it the way Kirk just did, where the premise is what's actually interesting and the nature of the twists is only surprising to you the first time, and then when you actually look at it zoomed out, the the artifice is not as impressive because what's what's actually impressive about Danganronpa is the premise, is not just the battle royale premise, but the fact that it's a murder you have to get away with. Like that's the additional layer of interest is that it's it's not just, oh, you you each need to kill each other in order to survive. And whoever is the last one standing wins the game. That's it. It's you need to kill each other, but you need to do it in a way that none of the other students can figure out. And you need to perhaps frame someone else. You need to form survivor-esque alliances with different students. You can't necessarily trust anyone, but also you kind of have to if you want to figure out the mysteries and like interrogate each of the witnesses. And that introduces so much fun social interaction within the game that I don't think is replicated by twists on twists. Like, that's not really why I play. I feel like I would have enjoyed just endless mysteries. And the end of Danganronpa 1 is a pretty decisive ending, actually. Like, they could have just ended the series there, but they don't. And the beginning of 2 is very strange as a result, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I didn't beat 2, but I remember being like, oh, so they have to completely change this because they've upended the structure at the end of 1, so now they need to essentially justify why this would happen again. And that was harder for me to buy into because, again, it felt like diminishing returns. But I do think I recommend the first one. I mean, I guess that's why we're here is because it's out and we're talking about it. But the first one also has some problems, which <laughs> I'm sure we're also going to get <laughs> yeah, into. Yeah, we can get into that in a sec. But I think what's interesting um, is that both the second and the third games are, both the second and V3 are so subversive in that they both kind of like, 
are trying to almost point the finger at you for enjoying sequels and point the finger at themselves for creating sequels. And a lot of that stuff you can't really get until you've played them all the way through. And I'll be vague for the sake of avoiding spoilers, but especially the third one has a lot to say about the nature of these games and the nature of like um, uh, watching students kill each other and like all the, the lurid enjoyment we get out of out of the Danganronpa series. And it's kind of interesting. It, it was very, the third V3 was very controversial when it came yeah, out. Yeah, like I'll, I'll finish it or maybe I'll just like watch the ending on YouTube. But I gotta say that I, I'm not really moved by that. Oh, so you like watching kids kill one another because I, similar to what you, I think you were describing, Maddie, the actual joy of this game typically is in the revelations about the characters and their goodness. Like mm-hmm. I'm not playing the game because of the, the joy I take in watching well, them die. No, but Kirk, that's not that's not the message. But that no, that's not what it's. All right. Well, I, I, so fact. never mind. I mean, I'm not going to rebut an ending to a game that I haven't played, and you have. That's not something that is productive. A lot of what the series does and has done since the very beginning is a lot of just fourth wall breaking and subverting yes. tropes. Um, Danganronpa, the first Danganronpa, like opens up. I, I'll try to be vague because I know some people out there probably want to play through it for the first time now that it's on Switch. So I won't spoil what happens in the first case but the first case alone just kind of subverts your expectations of what's going to happen throughout the course of the game like you might you like meet these characters and you think certain things of them over the course of the game like oh this character okay I kind of get what's happening here in terms of relationships and then it's completely upended by the end of the first case and that to me is really fascinating um, just some of the ways that this these games do subversion um, something I noticed on replaying me so what I've been doing on the Switch, I replayed all of Danganronpa 1, which was a blast, and then started both 2 and V3, which was less of a blast, and I was trying to figure out why. And I actually think something that I found interesting is that the characters in Danganronpa 1 are just like a lot more likable than the set, the cast of characters in especially 2, where everyone is kind of just a jerk, um, but also in V3. The characters in 1 are a lot just stronger and you grow fond of them a lot more easily and perhaps coincidentally perhaps not in the first game it actually takes a little while before they'll start killing each other and it gets to the point where Monokuma this is part of the story Monokuma comes out part of the early story comes out and is like hey you guys aren't killing each other so here are some motives to get you to kill each other and like pulls out these intense motives for everyone um, the main character like sees a video of his family being being like whatever um, something happening to his family um, and yeah, they're basically that's, threatened that's externally outside of the game so that yeah, they have yeah, to yeah. continue. Yeah. And so that that's what ultimately triggers the first murder. But like in, in the next couple of games, um, murder happens a little more seamlessly, a little more quickly. It's it's there are a lot more evil people among the the casts of characters. And I actually think that is that is why I, the first one I think stands out more. Than the others these days. Yeah, the first one's cast is just a little less. There's a few fewer grotesque characters. There's a lot of grotesquerie in the kind of art design mm-hmm. and the character design. And there there are grotesque characters in all three, but replaying three, I was definitely reminded that I just didn't really like any of the characters, where I still think about characters from the first one. So I agree with that. I think there's a thing. So the trial format, I think, is a really interesting format for 
character development and storytelling. So I've been playing through The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles on Switch as well, and I'm almost done. The game is like 60 hours long or something. I've been playing Well, it. it's two games. No, You've I know. I've been playing um, two entire yeah, games. Well, it is, but it is quite long regardless. Yep. And um, I am near the end. And it's so different. Um, clearly, Danganronpa is inspired in some way by the Ace Attorney games because, I mean, there's a trial and you have to find contradictions and testimony. On the surface, when you look at it, it kind of has that that similarity. But there's this crucial difference, and that's that in Danganronpa, you're in a closed environment for the most part. They sometimes trick you. A character will reveal that they're actually somebody else, and then they switch personalities. You know, that happens a couple times. But by and large, and in usually the most affecting cases, what you're discovering is just new things about the characters you already know through their testimony, and then eventually the truth coming out. Um, where in Ace Attorney, it's so different. In Ace Attorney, you typically go into the courtroom without anybody there. You know, you don't know who you're even going to be talking to. A lot of times the pros- prosecution calls up witnesses. Oh, here are these new goofy characters. And they're like <laughs> brand new to you. And then you just it's get just to know them. Very realistic. Right. Yeah, it's exactly right. like real just, trials. Just like how no it works. No clue what's going to happen. Right. Every, every witness is a surprise witness. Every piece uh, of evidence has been thrown at you seconds earlier. Right. And then, of course, the, the witnesses from the previous case are now jurors. <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course. Case that I'm doing. Yeah, that's, that's how, how it the works. legal system works everywhere so in the world. It's just very different. Like, because the Ace Attorney games are mostly concerned with, you know, Rayanuske and his friends, like, the and they're the recurring characters. So you see how he deals with adversity and how he's reacting in his inner, inner monologue. And it's all about him. And it's he's the only one really getting any character development. I guess, what's his name? Uh, racist vampire prosecutor is like also being developed. But most of that stuff is just, it's a, there's a lot less happening. Um, where in these games, I think that's really the remarkable thing. The cases I'm really remembering from the first game are the cases where one person was trying to help their friend by setting up a way that their friend could get out. Like they wanted, you know, and then they they screwed it up or they, you know, they accidentally framed them or like something went wrong. And the the thing that you uncover is this really tragic story of all of these characters that you've been getting to know for the past few hours. I think that's really cool. And that's the thing that is, is distinct about these games. Yeah. Something else that's interesting, I think, is that Ace Attorney is all about defending people who are accused of being guilty who are not, whereas Dangarumpa is always all is all about uh, accusing people who are claiming to be innocent, but they're not. It's interesting, yeah, kind of an is, interesting yeah, role reverse. They're different. both farcical, though, and they're both. Mm-hmm funny in a similar way although Danganronpa is playing with horror tropes it's more got, than yeah, it is it's got sharper edges. drama tropes and it's I mean I guess I would say Danganronpa is a horror game but I was just reading this old story uh, on Polygon earlier about an interview with the creator about how the blood is pink in the game and there's a lot mm-hmm. of cartoon violence as opposed to realistic violence, which gets more realistic over the course of the game to just, you know, emphasize the stakes being being raised. But it's never quite scary in the way that like Silent Hill is or whatever. It's it's funnier than that. And it's sarcastic and Monokuma like makes fun of everybody all the time. Like there's just a certain tone to it that is 
unlike anything else I, mm-hmm. and is is appealing it is, it's, about it. It's very M-rated also. I was just yeah. playing through some V3 and there's like one of the monocubs keeps talking about his boner. That guy, the I've worst. Seen is that, that mono kid? Is that his name? Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty crass. I've never seen that level of crassness in in a game that I can remember other than like the, the schlocky, like your postal, your type of postal games. Yeah. And there is sort of that vibe in a way in Danganronpa where each of the characters is presented as a stereotype and then you learn more about them and they're deeper than you thought. But there's still a lot of tropes on display, even with the revealing of a character being more than you thought. Like it never Mm -hmm. quite rises above the operatic farce of it all. And that I think is something that can be very hit or miss with people. And it's hard for people to describe. I feel like I see this with the Persona games as well, where people are like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, like they're wildly homophobic. And like there's so many problems with Persona 5, but it's also the greatest game ever. And you just kind of have to deal with or persona force the homophobic one my bad but hey persona 5's got its own problems you know <laughs> what i mean yeah like yeah so there's there's certainly issues in danganronpa with like very deeply stereotypical characters but it's also just schlocky and if you can get on board with that specific brand of schlock and like horror tropes and like final girl and like every the, the nerd character and 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 so on and so forth and the it's, fan service art right yeah. the still shots of girls with their skirts like you know there's, yeah, there's, like there's th- that kind of stuff too. yeah that stuff gets worse as the series goes because yeah. Dangarampa 2 has more of that of that like the still shot they really try to have their cake and eat it too by like calling themselves yeah. out for it and you're like come on you're just right. still just doing it <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's which, a character, yeah, there's a character in two who is really probably the worst character in the series, this guy named Teru Teru, who is like this this chef, the, the ultimate chef. Oh, is he um, the like super also, horny, inappropriate Yeah, guy? he's yeah. like straight up, like borderline, like like it seems like he's going to rape someone. Yeah, he's like, extremely he's, creepy. He says some just horrifying things. And um, yeah, it, it, does, it does get a little less tolerable as the series goes, I would say. Danganronpa 1, I think, is probably the least problematic of them which is funny to say given some of the things that Danganronpa <laughs> won but yeah I mean, yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I think Danganronpa 1 is the one that I would really recommend that people jump into I think once you've played Danganronpa 1 you probably are going to want to see the series through because it's a pretty addictive um uh, uh series and and just like wanting to know like each uh, the thing is the murders and the mysteries the, the micro mysteries are crafted so well like some of the murders are just ingenious in the way that they they're they're, they twist and turn and the way that like all the clues are laid out for you at the beginning but you don't piece them together until you go through the trial and you realize like oh oh that's how it happened like it's it's all and the crafting is really really like meticulous and really well done of of the individual micro level and and it's almost it's I feel like it's worth playing all of the games just for that even just to see on a chapter by chapter basis how that's handled yeah I agree yeah I think the way the trials work is also weirdly easier than Ace Attorney ever was for me. Like the, mm-hmm. the truth bullets and like the goofiness of it all, it's way more action packed and like rhythm, rhythm music is pumping while you're doing it. But in terms of the 
putting together clues and feeling as though you, the player, are having a realization at the same time as the protagonist, it feels more naturalistic in Danganronpa to me, whereas in Ace Attorney, I am the queen of the walkthrough with some of those things where I'm like, (laughs) I know what the clue is that I need to show them, but I don't know what stupid thing I need to say. Like, do I need to, like, present (laughs) it to them in this sentence or this sentence? And, like, it's some weird tricky aspect where I just I'm not clicking the right thing at the right time but Danganronpa doesn't doesn't have that problem and I remember there being very very few instances where I was like I'm genuinely not sure how to proceed with this mystery I'm gonna google it it was barely ever I could just coast through it and actually feel like a super genius solving every mystery which is what you want you know yeah, there's a fundamental difference in the way the mysteries in the two games are designed that I think is really interesting. We've talked before about how a mis- a good mystery shows you all the clues and then you know, shows you the solution. This is like what, you know, Sherlock Holmes mysteries classically would do. And the amazing thing is what Sherlock Holmes can do with the same information that you were given. He can deduce the whole thing. And you'll think, oh, but it's also fun to read it and try to figure it out. And then if you read enough of those, eventually you do figure one out ahead of time. And that I remember having that experience in the first Rampa, being like, I no, like I clocked this. I know who did it. I know how they did it. I know the whole thing. And it wasn't laid out for me. It was just I figured it out by the way people were acting. It was some subtle character stuff. Someone was kind of hiding something. And then going into the trial with that knowledge, it made it really fun to work through where right in Ace Attorney, it's just totally different. Like you get a clue and you just think, well, when that's important, I'm sure I'll, <laughs> I'll pull it out. But, you know, you don't even know half the people involved until five minutes before you're pointing out their contradictions. And, of course, the villain is usually super easy be- or like to figure out because it's like this capering villain comes in with a <laughs> yeah. maniac grin. And it's more like, how do you prove that that person is the right. villain with what few clues and evidence you have? And that might be almost impossible for you, but you already know who did it as opposed to actually looking right. at all the clues Sherlock Holmes style, which is a lot more fun. Or fun in a different way. They're both really fun. And, you know, to compare it to, because we're doing a lot of comparing with Phoenix Wright's with Phoenix Wright to compare it to a different mystery game. I think this I think Danganronpa, those mysteries are more satisfying than something like LA Noir as well. Like they're actually it, they're really good mysteries, especially the very best ones. There's the one, is it in V3, where you have the two houses, the two buildings that are mirrors of one another, and some people are in one building and some people are in the other building, and someone was in one location, but sometimes there are clues indicating that maybe they were in the other one. And it's this really next-level mystery of figuring out, like, okay, wait a minute, so if someone saw someone in that room, maybe they were actually in this similar room in the other building, and you have to put together this whole really complicated thing. It's super good. Um, I would definitely take that kind of uh, way of communicating information in a mystery to even pretty much any other mystery game that I've played, actually, including the like really high budget ones like in L.A. Noir, where you kind of, you know, it's such a weird thing, like solving a mystery in that kind of game as well. It's so based on performances um, where I just give me the information, show me the clues and then let me make my own make my own uh, conclusions. Yeah. Um. The other thing that I think really makes these games worth playing is Monokuma himself, because despite the annoyances of like his kids and like yeah the the the, the girl bear who's also a little the scrappy dudes of it. All. I really just miss him. I think that's why I don't like the sequels as much. I just like when it was him. Monokuma, yeah, he is. He's one of the all time villains, like one of the greatest villains in video game history. He's just agree. so very fun reveal as well. I mean, I it's a classic. 
like it's like the twist when people talk about the twist of the game. Yeah, which the is twist great. is well. So I mean, the twist in one, well, it's one of the many twists. But yes, the twist yeah. of like the reveal is great, and then subsequent twists involving him are great. Everything mm-hmm. about Lanakuma is great. But the, the way he's like, not only is he this like adorable bear who is like constantly saying the most vulgar stuff and taunting you and just like like <laughs> just saying the most heinous things, he's also one step ahead of you the entire time like he always knows what you're about to do he pops up like there are times um throughout the games where like your your group of of characters like thinks they're outsmarting him and then they'll turn around and he'll just be in the corner just like watching or like he'll just pop up <laughs> like he'll contribute there's one amazing moment that's very scooby-doo where it's like everyone's going around the room and saying stuff and and <laughs> monokuma like chimes in and, and he's like he's I, just I, there. I think it's this. And, yeah like he's just there and then everyone's yeah. like oh okay oh Wait a minute. <laughs> and they turn around, they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's such a good villain. Yeah. Also, um, uh, shout out to Masafumi Takata, uh, the composer of this game, for his Monogama yes. theme. God. His theme is incredible. All the, music. All the music is is very very good. The trial music kills. They've timed those like kick drum drops. It's always you know the thing starts and it's like just hi hats and you're like, I think that actually it's this and this and this and that means you did it. It's like and like the thing comes in and it gets going. His music is such a big part of why this works and going way back to the kind of horrific, creepy elements of this game, as much as he writes these great kind of uh, exciting, you know, house music sequences, he also writes a lot of weird, creepy, kind of discordant, sort of like jazz influence, just weird shit where you're walking around and this like trumpet is kind of playing and it's just a very specific musical vibe that's such a big part of of the game. I mean when I when I started playing it again that and like also just the UI, the way that the sort of menus move, the way that it's this kind of flat imagery like everything looks like a cardboard cutout and when you walk mm-hmm. into a room it's like flip, 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 and everything comes up almost like a flip book and the characters are all 2D but in a 3D space and they uh-huh. all are like the way that it arranges itself for you it's is such a cool vibe remarkable yeah. Yeah. and not like anything else and then mixed with his music it's just this like total Total vibe. I mean, such a strong vibe Mm -hmm. in these games. Yeah. I feel like another big part of the vibe is the fact that unlike the Hunger Games and many other Battle Royales, there's no government organizing it. It's just this bear. It's not like people have heard about this school before and they know what the deal is with it. Like they just Mm. thought it was an excellent school that they got into. They don't know they're entering a Battle Royale or essentially a Battle Royale. They have no idea because it's all just the work of this one solo mastermind character who arranged it, which is absurd because it's like, well, how did this character have the capacity to do that? But I don't really feel like that's the point of Danganronpa. Like, again, uh, the more the games explain it, the less interesting it is to me personally. What's fun about the first one is the fact that it gets to be an allegory for how high school feels and just be that and just be like, oh, yeah, every other kid, like the protagonist famously doesn't feel like he's the ultimate anything at the beginning of the game. And he's like, I'm just no one. I don't understand why I'm here. And that is also how high school can feel, or at least it did 
for me where everybody else has their clicks that they fit into. And I was always like, well, I don't really know what my problem is. And also mm -hmm. just like the infighting, the clickiness, the, of course, people aren't literally killing each other and trying to get away with it in high school, but they're doing something kind of like that socially where you're, you're trying to get away with fooling everyone, something in high school and like that overarching metaphor and having it all just be secret it's not like on the news or whatever and the way it is in the hunger games it's just like this private torture that these children are going through makes it work really really well like just as an allegorical story about what it feels like to be a teenager well and there's this sort of fantastical element as well in that in high school we were never probably never unless you like went to theater camp over the summer but you were rarely put in a situation where you kind of had to open up to everybody and really yes. then share the truth of yourself. I thought you were going to say you were probably not put in a situation where you have to kill each other. <laughs> but at theater camp, anything goes. Camp, I mean, yeah. we all know yeah. what that's like. Uh, all bets are off at theater camp. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, you know, you're, you're very rarely going to be in the kind of situation that winds up playing out because every trial ends with the sad yes. music coming in and someone actually finally like letting down their guard and saying who they really are. And usually that's right yeah. before they die because like I they're know. being like, I was just so scared. I was so insecure. I was so worried about my friend or I had this feeling that I didn't think was okay, whatever it is. And it's like, that's the thing that never happened in high school. And that those are always the kind of the real catharsis before the horrible murder that you then also do watch. And it is usually pretty ghoulish as outsizes. Yeah, the, the executions. So right. I mean, it is a murder, but it's it's more specifically the execution yes. of the murderer character that Monokuma mm -hmm. will stage some absurd, like also allegorical murder yeah. device where it's like, I don't know, you're too obsessed with gumballs. You're going to fall into a massive pit of gumballs while Monokuma laughs at you. Like that's, it, it's more clever than that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it reminds me of Freddy Krueger. It has a very yes. Nightmare on Elm Street kind of an energy because he's always doing shit like also that. like a very like farcical like you know foul-mouthed energy mm -hmm. to monokuma that freddy krueger shares they would definitely be bfs they would get along terrifying astral planes they would hang out yeah although although he might accidentally like tear <laughs> monokuma's fluff apart with it uh, <laughs> yeah. that's true he could never yeah. pet him that's true i guess yeah mm -hmm. that would have an impediment there to their friendship <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the things that I think it works really well in these games also is that um, between each chapter, between each murder mystery, you have like this free time where you can go around and you can you can skip it all if you want, but it's a lot more fun to go around and bond and you have these like persona like bonding events with your friends and you can pick which character you want to go bond with and then you'll get to know a little bit more about their personality. Um, it can be kind of a bummer if you're like, oh man, I really wanted to know this person and then they died or then they <laughs> got killed. Yeah. Uh, uh, then they killed someone and, and got executed. But um, but it's still very fun to do that in between each chapter and get to know them. As I've been replaying some of the games, I, I there's some stuff I forgot because I haven't played these games since they originally came out. Each of them, but um, but I I, I have a a basic memory of like who dies and who lives at each point. So I've been intentionally going to the people I know who will die and like doing their bonding events, which is also fun um, to just like see, see what they're get to know them before they, uh, they ultimately meet their demise. Yeah. I yeah. struggle with that. Some, the, the optional downtime stuff like there, I, my memory of playing these games at least is that whenever that stuff happens, I'm like, Man, I just want to get to another trial. Like, I just want to get to another yeah. mystery. Yeah, well, that's how you can skip it, which is nice. Well, and on a subsequent playthrough, I could see it being better just because it is kind of designed for people who know what's going to come next. So they can, mm -hmm. I mean, you could min max it. So I think you can max out 
your friendship with everybody, but you really have to yeah, know the story if you're going to know. No, you can't. That they you like, you right? definitely cannot. Oh, you really but just can't. at the end of, so each game has a bunch of like optional mini games that like bonus stuff. One of them is that after you beat each of the games, you can play through like a school life mode with everybody alive. And then you can like build your relationships with each oh, one if you okay. want to see all of the different scenes with each of them. Um, either in the school or in the island. But yeah, um, one thing we should mention before we wrap things up is there is another game that came out in 2014 called Dangarampa Another Episode. And it's like a shooting game and it's not it's not great, um, but it's like canon. One of the things that's crazy about this series, and again, talking about subversion, is that um, the director and Spike Chunsoff, the developer, um, <laughs> to, they ended the, uh, the, the Hope's Peak Academy arc um, which is like the first two games and then the spinoff. They ended it with an anime and like a spinoff shooter. And that's how they ended this like <laughs> the story that you started in Dangarampa 1. Kind of perfect, right? For like, where this series has gone. Yeah. Like it's, it's spun out in so many directions. <laughs> but it's also just like, hey, fans, like, you know what? You have to go watch a freaking anime if you want to see how this story ends. Because then Dangarampa V3 is essentially like the beginning of it. Something else. It's like, it's it's not a, a new story. It's very much related to the first games, but it's not in Hope Speak Academy. It's it's right. like the end that arc is over, right? Um, so yeah, it's kind of kind of a weird thing. But that said, I think if you are out there, you haven't played any of the games, you think they sound interesting, I certainly recommend playing through all of them, even if even though some moments are weaker than others, some games are weaker than others. I recommend Get it, get them on the Switch. It's like so worth it. Get the get the first two games. Forget about the board game, but get the first two games, play through them. Um Dangarampa, Dangarampa 2, and V3. All worth playing, I would say. You're going to have a good time if you play through all of them. Yeah, they're great on Switch, too. I mean, I played these all on Vita, and they were great on Vita, but the Switch has a bigger screen, so therefore it is even better on Switch. Yeah, I'm running into a weird issue with V3 where, like, all of the M dashes are just gone, and so everything looks weird. I don't know if it's, like, a bug unique to my Switch or something. I don't know. Huh. i got to figure it out. Um, and then there's some, like, some weird performance issues, which you wouldn't think would oh, be the case, but this. there definitely are. Yeah, definitely some performance issues. Well, especially it's not out yet right as we talk especially about especially in two maybe um there will be a day it'll one be available patch. yeah it'll be available when this episode <laughs> right. goes live i think day um, one patch for the m dashes we gotta I'm just trying to imagine yeah dangan ramp of v3 needing a day one patch for performance is just sort <laughs> yeah, of it's funny. weird that's, right? that's weird yeah it's it's strange um yeah, but uh, but yeah, looking forward to more. I, I don't know if you guys remember, but the but the creator came out with another game earlier this year that I absolutely hated, that I thought was terrible. Um, I do remember I what it's called. I feel like I do remember. So wait, can we go back to the shooter? Is it a battle royale game? What kind of shooter is it's it? It's not. It's kind of a, it's like a weird like like um, third person shooter that's just very clunky, and you're like shooting down these like. Um, what? Yeah, it's like it's set between the first two games. My, my memory of this is this game is called Ultra Despair Girls. Danganronpa, another episode mm-hmm. colon Ultra Despair Girls. And I remember, yes. I think Jason, you and I saw it at E3. And it was like, uh-huh. hey, look, it's the new Danganronpa. Because we were known even at the time that you and I really liked Danganronpa. And it was like, check it out. And we were kind of looking at it like, huh. Because it's this kind we of like, crusty oh. looking third like person. I was like, right? this, where's Monokuma? Why are they shooting yeah. at people? What is this game? It's very skippable. It's skippable. Go get the Switch. Go get the Switch package. Play play the first game if you're into it and you'll like the rest. Yeah. Um, yeah, for all the the nitpicking and, and quibbles. Um, and yeah, enjoy it. I think it's worth it. I think you guys would enjoy playing through uh, the games you haven't finished yet, um, respectively, because uh, yeah, there's some good try. stuff in there. Yeah, one day I'll finish three. soft on two, so I was like, maybe I'll just skip to three. But Well, 
I'm, I was soft on replaying too, just because Got the it. characters are but so But you feel awful. like because I, I wouldn't know it. the mysteries. Also, also, Maddie, it might be because I just mainlined all of Dangarumpa 1 and I'm kind of like, okay, do I really want to play through like another another entire game like this so soon? So could be that. Yeah, they're long games. They're very long all games. Right, I'll give it a try. Yeah, it's worth it. I think you should. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, even the first case, if you play the first one, like the first cases or meaning the characters, there's like a big twist and like, actually meeting the characters in Dangarumpa 2 once you've played Dangarumpa 1. Um, I'll, avoid, I'll avoid spoilers there. Anyway, why don't we take a break and we will be back with one more thing. Hello! I'm Pee Wee Herman. You might know me from TV, but I really want to be a DJ! It took some convincing, but KCRW finally agreed to give me an hour on the radio to play you some music with my friends. (laughs) Anyway, tune in for one hour of the bestest, most funnest time you'll ever have on the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour. I am personally inviting you to tune your transistor radio in to hear me or go to kcrw.com. Duh. (laughs) It'll be available for the whole week from November 26th to December 3rd. So you can listen to it again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour was produced by Maximum Fun and can be streamed on KCRW.com until December 3rd. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard. And we have no advice, but we do see you doing it. Honk if you like to do it. (laughs) Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, honk if you did it? That's what it was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Why did we not ever make those? Those We did make them. I think they're still in the Max Fun store. (laughs) Honk, honk. You're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Hong Kong. Toot toot. And we are back, Kirk. Maddie, it is time for one more thing. Maddie, kick us off. Sure. So I didn't really know that much about the assassination of JFK. Mm. (laughs) Just a confession (laughs) about me. I mean, I knew he was shot. I, I mean, knew there were a lot of you're conspiracy not a boomer, theories. So. I'm not a boomer. <laughs> I wasn't alive when that happened. I've talked about not knowing history and really enjoying history podcasts on this show. And this, I saw a friend tweeting about how she also didn't really know anything about the assassination of JFK, but she listened to this great six-part series on it. And I was like, oh my God, tell me what it is, because I'm embarrassed that I don't really know anything. And she was like, well, I don't know, Maddie. It's like, there's a lot of like really sexual jokes. It's like three comedian dudes. And like, I don't know if you'd be into it. And I was like, I think, I think it'll be just fine. And it is. But I will say that that same warning applies to anyone listening to this. So it's it's a six-part series um, by The Last Podcast on the Left is the name how, of the how show. How did they fit sexual jokes into a series about the assassination? Honestly, I really, I don't know. But they <laughs> Not do. what I expected. Like every few minutes, they will make some type of... Of, like dick joke about something. I mean, they they <laughs> okay. have a lot of information about the dick sizes of various politicians at the time, and they've done a lot of research. So it's like an actual journalistic enterprise that has 
mostly correct. Like, you know, I looked at the subreddit for the, the podcast and I was like, how, how many people are there in the comments saying that they got facts wrong? And there are a few people, but like largely it seems like they did a good job of recapping both the events of the assassination and then the final two episodes are about the conspiracy theories. Mm. And then at the end, they're like, here's what we're pretty sure happened. And it's this just delightfully anticlimactic explanation that is also still very sad and is not entirely about Lee Harvey Oswald. I won't spoil the actual theory that they share at the end because they provide enough evidence that I was convinced by it and kind of amazed Interesting. by it. Interesting. That so makes me want to listen to this. Yeah, I recommend it. It's it's definitely like very blue humor, which I personally think is quite funny. But I, I think people will just have to like try it and see if that works yeah. for them or not. So it's called The Last Podcast on the Left. I know they do a bunch of other shows. I, I haven't listened to any of the other ones. I just listened to all six of, of these episodes and I really, really enjoyed them. And I feel like I learned a lot. So nice. I recommend cool. it. Good stuff. Yeah. Ever since reading um, 112263, that Stephen King uh -huh. book that's, that's all about fun. this, where yeah. he researched did a lot. It's a lot of accurate stuff in that book, even though it's fiction. Cool. And he, it's very interesting. That makes me want to listen to that for sure. Mm -hmm. And that book is incredible. My favorite of his. Kirk, what's your one more thing? My one more thing is a new Netflix show about my favorite video game, League of Legends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You know how I'm always talking about League of Legends and I'm like, yeah, Every you play it all the time. Playing We're League like, Kirk, you the can't other day. pick League as your one more thing again. Stop. Yeah, like, well, I played a bunch of League last week and, uh, you know, really into those lanes and stuff. No, mm -hmm. I don't know anything about League of Legends, but I... Jungling. I have... I was you're right. These I was are words. Jungling with some... <laughs> uh, I Really, I got nothing else. Um, I don't know anything about League of Legends, but I've been watching um, Arcane, which is the new Netflix show that is set in the League of Legends universe. I've watched four episodes of it. It's pretty good. It's like an animated show, but it looks a little like a video game, too. It looks like Dishonored. The story and the world and everything really feels like Dishonored. It's got a lot of Dishonored energy, even though I know League of Legends is also kind of similar magic steampunk, you know, technology. But it really works, and it's it at least so far. I've watched four episodes, and I'm we're enjoying it. It's a it's a very enjoyable sort of show. It's edgier than your average Netflix animated show. It's a little more like YA. I mean, I by that I mean they say shit, and there's people get killed, and there's violence, and you know. A little bit grittier, I suppose, than your average animated show, but I like it. And it looks amazing. Like, it's some of the most amazing-looking animation I've seen in a while. Um, it's the same studio that made that music video for League of Legends for that sort oh, of... Oh, yeah. The KDA music videos. They're, like, sort of fictional yeah. pop music group based on the characters in the So game. I know people who like the game really like those videos, and I believe they're also very technically well done. And this show is similar, and I think they just had a long time to work on it. So I read Joshua Rivera's review at Polygon where he was like, you can watch this even if you don't like League of Legends. This is just a good show. So I decided I'd start it. And I really think it's interesting watching it without knowing anything. Because I, I know, like, there'll be a, you know, the camera will linger on some weird little monster. They'll be going through the, the bazaar in the Undercity and it's neon lights and all this crazy stuff going on in the background and a million different types of monsters and people. And it's, like, very lively. And, I, and I'm like, well, I'm sure that a lot of this is... Easter eggs that people who play League of Legends will be like, oh, yeah, I know that thing. Oh, that's that thing you have to fight on that one level or whatever. I guess there's kind of only one level in League of Legends, but you know what I mean? Um, so I'm that stuff is a loss on me. 
but it still works as kind of show don't tell world building. Like I'm, it's just like a cool world with lots of cool stuff going on, and I don't need to know what the little rock monster with no face is. Like it's a little rock monster with no face. That's the thing a guy has in a cage that he's like selling in his stall. Like it's probably it's whatever. Like I don't need to know more than that. So I'm enjoying that, and it's making me think about video game adaptations and sort of the site because we're getting more and more of those right the Castlevania series on Netflix was kind of a recent example of, of, a, of a widely appreciated um, Warren Ellis notwithstanding uh, series mm-hmm. that you know the, the live action Witcher show was the live action was Witcher show which of course is based on books but you know I mean that it really feels as much based on the video games and then you know we're getting The Last of Us we're getting an Uncharted movie who knows what else and it just, it seems like this kind of game is an interesting one to adapt because League of Legends is not a narrative game, but it has a world with like a ton of characters and a ton of lore and backstory. It's sort of similar to Overwatch. And when Overwatch was announced, remember how everyone was, it was like those amazing cinematics that Blizzard uh, would make? shorts, yeah. Yeah, and you'd watch them. And I would watch those. I would watch those and I didn't play Overwatch. I just liked them because they were really cool and they implied this whole world with like this interesting conflicts and characters and all this excitement. This show really feels like it could have been Overwatch. Like I could be watching the same show and it's about whatever. It could even be about like, you know, young Tracer or whatever, like joining the team. And anyone who plays Overwatch would know all about Tracer. But if you didn't know, you could still watch it and enjoy it. And I just wonder if this kind of game actually lends itself more to an adaptation because there isn't already a story where something like The Last of Us or Uncharted, I basically watched The Last of Us TV show. It was called The Last of Us <laughs> and it was it was interactive, but you know, it was pretty much what the show's gonna look like and I'm less uh-huh. interested in that. Yeah. Mm. So you're not gonna watch the Halo TV show because I feel like that really straddles the oh, yeah, is the that line. happening? It, wait, did <laughs> Supposedly. Even... It's been supposedly happening for the past 10 years. Was, the, was that the thing with Steven Spielberg yeah. and they announced it like 75 yeah. years ago. Okay. And they like the showed a trailer thing. that like showed Master Chief for like one second. Yeah. We all pretended it was still going to happen. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying though. <laughs> like it is interesting when a sort of competitive multiplayer right. game is like, okay, we're going to just come up with a story that's based on lore that people who read wikis know. But most right. Like we, don't. we invested in the lore, but it wasn't necessary. Like it wasn't a huge part of the game, but we've got all this lore and some of it's apparently cool. So like, let's make a story out of it. And like, well, it, it in works. Riot's case, they're using all that lore actually for like, like they're making an MMO. They're making, they have all these other games that are, that are part of the league universe. So yeah, I think it's, it's the more that they multiverse. just have years and years of like this, this canon. But yeah, though, that's a good point that like, in, in general, I think you're right that like the, the best video game adaptations are based on games that don't have a ton of story because you can fill in the blanks yourself and they right. just have rich lore. Like the Doom film, for example. A, exactly. <laughs> a masterful uh, iconic, movie. Iconic Incredible. movie. Yeah. Um, and that just makes me think I can't believe that there was never an Overwatch show because that would have done gangbusters. And, like, and I blown. feel like people were always asking for that too. Like uh-huh. it's uh-huh. It would seem that Blizzard but... maybe didn't really have their shit together as much as it might yeah, have Yeah, it's so. Blizzard making a weird decision? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. That's never yeah. happened. So. Um, my one more thing is a little game called Final Fantasy V, mm. which is the game before Final Fantasy VI, uh, which you guys both got to experience. Just this like year. a Kefka origin story. <laughs> 
It oh is a Capcom God. origin story. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's each of these games is a totally new story. Yeah, so the the Pixel Remaster, the new version of Final Fantasy mm. V, just came out uh, a couple weeks ago, and I started playing it on a whim, and I've somehow played through like most of the game already. Um, this is my first. Uh, this is one of the games that I haven't played a lot on like like six or seven, unlike of the others, because this one didn't come to the U.S. when it first came out um, on the Super Nintendo. Wouldn't come to the U.S. for another few years until like a PlayStation port but um but yeah it's it's a good game it's a solid solid final fantasy game i've got to say got a lot of charm got a lot of characters um it's one of those games where you have the four the instead of your party changing like it does in six um you have four set characters and you can change all of their classes um Mm -hmm. and you got like a bunch of different jobs that you can cycle between sort of like final fantasy the original and tactics yeah tactics you you played a bunch and sort of like that um and a lot of the the classes are similar so one one of the reasons that people are really into this game is there's like this whole um, subculture around it called like the job fiesta or like the single class runs where like people are assigned classes to go with and like you can either make your entire party a single class or like you you get these assigned classes and you have to figure out how to beat the game with all of them and so it's super replayable which I think is one of the fun parts about it is that like you can customize your your characters in some really interesting ways and a lot of the jobs are really well balanced so you can you can beat the whole game with with all of them um and yeah it's just a fun game good story good good characters good just interesting uh interesting stuff um unfortunately has the invisible random encounter problem that can feel really tedious in Mm. this day and age um and unfortunately the pixel remaster version the new version that just came out doesn't have a fast forward button it does have auto battle Mm. um does have auto battle which makes things a little bit more palatable but the lack of a fast forward button would make me like say no don't play this unless you like but uh but other than that i mean it's a good version good game good part um certainly would not recommend it to youtube but if people out there are curious to check out an old school Final Fantasy game. If you played six with us this year and you're hankering for more, this is a good option. Um, the other thing is that, like, for some reason, Square just hasn't announced that these Final Fantasy remasters are coming to consoles yet. Right now, they're just on PC and and um, phones, which is super weird because, like, obviously they're coming to consoles. Obviously, they're going to be on Switch, um, yeah. but maybe they're waiting for some reason. Maybe they want to release all of them first so people double dip. I don't know. But uh, hmm. but yeah, I guess maybe next year. That's bizarre that there's not a fast forward button. I'm not over Very that. Very bizarre. Oh, also the 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 main villain of this game is a giant tree. Um, you get to beat up a tree. So the take Deku that, tree, right? He finally mm-hmm. broke bad. Yeah, it's the Deku tree. Yeah, you you take him down. Stupid mustache. You're just like, <laughs> oh man, screw you. I don't want to go inside of you and fight a spider. I wanna I wanna take you down. Um, yeah, you fight a giant tree at the end of this game. It's 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 pretty cool. Cool. Um, a lot of good music in this game too. Battle at the big big bridge is one of those iconic Final Fantasy tracks. Um, okay, that's it for this week's episode. Yeah. Isn't it? It is. Yeah, it um, is. It is. We did can't it. Can't believe it's ready. December. Uh, our December bonus episode will be up on Monday. I think earlier, actually. And it'll be up oh, earlier. Earlier. Just kidding. Our, our bonus episode, <laughs> is it up already? No. I don't know. When's it's, it up? It's up. Okay. We don't point. know when it'll be up. It could be up anytime. Uh, it may already in, be Either up in the future. It, it might be soon. up in the past. Nobody knows yeah. except Kirk Hamilton. And also, one of us has gotten away with murder and you'll find out who. <laughs> Next week. Who knows when? (laughs) (laughs) Good times. All right. See you guys next week. Yep. See you both next week. Bye. 
Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.